into you, uh, that we might become more like your son, Jesus Christ, today and always. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Dave Barry tells a, a funny story about communication, about how men and women communicate differently, how sometimes maybe we assume too much, and it goes something like this. Let's say a guy named Roger is attracted to a woman named Elaine. He asks her out to a movie. She accepts. They go have a pretty good time. A few nights later, he asks her out to dinner, and again, they enjoy themselves. They continue to see each other regularly, and after a while, neither one is seeing anyone else. And then one evening, when they're driving home, a thought occurs to Elaine, and without really thinking, she just says it out loud. Do you realize that as of tonight, we've been seeing each other for exactly six months. Then there's silence in the car. To Elaine, it seems like a, a very loud silence. She thinks to herself, geez, I, I wonder if it, it bothers him that I said that. Maybe he's been feeling confined in our relationship, and maybe he thinks I'm trying to, to push him into some kind of obligation that, that he doesn't want or isn't sure of. And Roger's thinking, gosh, six months. And Elaine is thinking, but hey, I'm not so sure I want this kind of relationship either. Sometimes I wish I had a little more space so I'd have time to think about what I, what I, whether I really want to keep going the way we are, moving steadily. I mean, where are we going? Are we just going to keep seeing each other? Are we heading toward marriage, toward children, toward a lifetime together? And uh, am I ready for that level of commitment? Do I even know this person? And Roger's thinking, so that means it was... Let's see, February, when we started going out, which was right after I had this car at the dealers, which means, let me check the odometer. Whoa, this is way overdue for an oil change. <laughs> and Elaine is thinking, he's upset. I can see it on his face. Maybe I'm reading this completely wrong. Maybe he wants more from our relationship, more intimacy, more commitment. And maybe he has sensed, even before I sensed it, that I was feeling some reservation. Yes, I bet that's it. That's why he's so reluctant to say anything about his own feelings. He's afraid of being rejected. And Roger's thinking, and I'm going to have him look at the transmission again. I don't care what those people say. It's not shifting right. And they better not try and blame it on the cold weather this time. Cold weather, it's 87 degrees outside. And this thing is shifting like a garbage truck. And I paid those incompetent thieves $600. And Elaine is thinking, he's angry. And I don't blame him. I'd be angry, too. I just feel so guilty putting him through this. I, I can't help the way I feel. I'm just not sure. And Roger's thinking, they'll probably say it's not under the 90-day warranty anymore. And Elaine's thinking, maybe I'm just too idealistic, waiting for a knight to, to come riding up on his white horse when I'm sitting right next to a perfectly good person, a person I enjoy being with, a person I truly do care about, a person who seems to truly care about me, a person who's in pain because of my self-centered schoolgirl romantic fantasy. And Roger's thinking, warranty. They want a warranty? I'll give them a warranty. I'll take their warranty. Roger! Elaine says out loud, what? Says Roger, startled. Please don't torture yourself like this, she says, her eyes beginning to brim with tears. Maybe I should, should never have, oh gosh, I feel so. And she breaks down sobbing. What? Says Roger. I'm such a fool, Elaine sobs. I mean, I know there's no knight. I, I really know that. It's silly. There's no knight and there's no horse. There's no horse, says Roger. You think I'm a fool, don't you, Elaine says. No, says Roger, glad to finally know the correct answer. It's just that, it's just that I, I need some time, Elaine says. There's a 15-second pause while Roger thinks as fast as he can, trying to come up with a safe response. Finally, he comes up with one that he thinks might work. 
Yes, he says, and Elaine is deeply moved, touches his hand. Oh, Roger, do you really feel that way, she says. What way, says Roger. <laughs> that way about time, says Elaine. Oh, yes. Elaine turns to face him and gazes deeply into his eyes, causing him to become very nervous about what she might say next, especially if it involves a horse. At last she speaks, thank you, Roger, she says. Thank you, says Roger. Then he takes her home and, and she lies on her bed and a conflicted, tortured soul weeps until dawn. Whereas when Roger gets back to his place, he opens a bag of Doritos, turns on the TV, and immediately becomes deeply involved in a rerun of a tennis match between two Czechoslovakians he's never heard of. And a tiny voice in the far recesses of his mind tells him that something major was going on back there in the car. But he's pretty sure there's no way he would ever understand what. So he figures it's best just not to think about it. Next day, Elaine calls her friends and they go through it in painstaking detail over and over again for hours. Meanwhile, Roger, while playing racquetball one day with a mutual friend, now weeks, months later, is about to serve. And it's a mutual friend between him and Elaine. And right before serving, he frowns and says, Hey, Norm, did, did Elaine ever own a horse? I wonder sometimes if we also assume too much if we too often think we know what someone else might be thinking and maybe they aren't but let's pause for a moment let me remind you where we are today we come to the end of our advent christmas series looking at preparing the way for jesus and as we've seen preparing for jesus isn't done as we would normally expect in fact, in the Gospel of Luke, the first thing that happens to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus is that God sends John the Baptist and gives him a mission. The mission's this, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. In other words, according to Luke, the way we prepare for the coming of Jesus, the way we prepare for this season of Christmas, is not just by decking the halls and buying presents and preparing meals. Instead, we prepare for the coming of Jesus by fixing relationships, by being brought back to the Lord, and by having our hearts turned back toward one another. And the reason we need to do this is because our relationships have a tendency to passively drift apart if we're not actively pursuing them, even under the best of circumstances. And of course, this is only made more difficult when we start to assume things of each other. I wonder how much conflict occurs simply because of bad communication. I wonder how much conflict occurs simply because we assume things about the other person. I wonder how much conflict occurs simply because the other person is assuming things of us. In fact, oftentimes when people are in a relationship, they'll assume that the other person should just know what they're thinking and feeling. That should just be automatic. If you really loved me, if you really knew me, you would know what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling. And I'll tell you right now, that's totally false. You have to communicate those things. You have to tell them. And yet it's what we think we want. So what can be done? Well, if you would, I would invite and encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 41. 
the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 41. And this, passage, this passage happens now 12 years after the Christmas story, but still long before Jesus is grown and begins his earthly ministry. Luke, chapter 2, verse 41. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Amen. Our passage ends. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and men. That last sentence isn't a bad one, especially as we all turn the page on our calendar in the next few days. Growing in wisdom, growing in stature, growing in favor with God and with others. Not a bad measure or metric for how this past year has gone and how we hope this next year goes. Have you and will you grow in wisdom and stature? Have you and will you grow in favor with God? Have you and will you grow in favor with others? Of course, that said, looking back through our passage and in light of this series and the same idea, I'm struck by the idea that maybe we assume we know more than we think we do about some of these different groupings of people. Maybe we think we know more about others than we do, and if we didn't assume that, we would grow in favor with others. Maybe we think we know more about God than we do, and if we didn't, we would grow in favor with God. Maybe we think we know more about ourselves than we do, and if we didn't, we would grow in wisdom and stature. So let's work back through our passage asking who we might be assuming too much about. One of the things that strikes me about this passage is how everyone just assumes that they know about everyone else. In particular, it seems to me that Jesus' parents have some unsaid expectations about where Jesus should be and what he should be doing. As our passage begins, we find Jesus' family heading to Jerusalem so that they could celebrate the Passover. And by this point in the story, Jesus is a 12-year-old, and the sense you get is that this is one of the traditions that the family regularly celebrates. Of course, once all the gathering and gabbing, the feasting and the festivities end, it's time to go back home. And so you try and load everything back in the car or the suitcases, you get on the planes, you fly back home, and then you try and return home back toward normal. In a similar fashion, Jesus' family and all the aunts and uncles and friends and neighbors all set out together for home. 
And the sense you get is there's just a bunch of people, kind of a caravan of people all traveling together. Where's Jesus? Oh, I don't know. He's probably with some friends. Maybe he's with John. Maybe with some other relative. Jesus' parents just kind of assume that Jesus is with them in the, par- in the caravan. They just assume that he's with them. They just assume that they understand him. Part of what we find out as our story develops is that they don't. They find out that maybe he's not quite who they think he is. They find out maybe he has a different hope and dreams than they hope for him. They find out that maybe they need to try and get to know him better again. But again, I think this is something that happens more often than we'd care to admit. I think we all assume things about our children. I think we all assume things about our parents. I think we all assume things about our friends and our families and our neighbors. We assign motives to actions. We evaluate intent of words. We interpret everything through our own lenses and feelings and assumptions. Of course, the danger there is that we can be wrong. We can assume the wrong thing. I wonder if we would grow in our favor with others if we didn't assume as much. If we asked more questions. If we we sought to understand more than just be understood. If we could be that humble. And of course, we don't just assume we know everything about others. We also assume we know all the relevant things we need to know about God. And be careful here, because I'm not saying that we all have the audacity to think we know everything about God. That'd be just silly. But maybe sometimes we assume that we understand all that we need to know. Maybe we assume that we understand how he works, how he operates. Maybe we assume that he, we basically know what he's like. In other words, maybe we've become too familiar with God. such such that we've lost our awe and our wonder of who he is and what he does. Getting back to our passage, Jesus' parents finally check at the temple, and as they do, they find Jesus. But he's not just there at church. He's engaged. He's involved. He's discussing scripture and faith and theology. And don't take something away from Jesus here. He's He's not engaged in this conversation because he's Jesus. In other words, he's not arguing because he knows God, because he is God. He's not explaining things like he put the stars in their place, so let me tell you a little bit of something about why I did that. He's not explaining things from the point of view of heaven. Instead, he, as a young Jewish boy of a faithful Jewish family, would have studied. What's more, since his parents had some idea of who he was and who he was meant to be, it's not a stretch to think that they might have encouraged that study as well. And then after all that, yes, he did have a little bit of a leg up in his studies, I'm sure. But let's recognize that wasn't just given to him. He worked for that. The other thing that's helpful here is that our passage tells us that Jesus was asking them questions. And here it's important to understand how they would have talked in the temple. Because questions were how they asked and answered each other. You would answer a question with another question. 
that would somehow bring the conversation deeper and then they would ask another question and it would in turn bring the conversation even deeper to try and get to some kind of understanding. I heard an example of this a few years ago and I found it helpful. Imagine you were to go into a, a, an art gallery and the Jewish artist was there and, and after looking at all the amazing pieces of artwork, you asked the artist, which one is your favorite? Question. They would then answer, Maybe something like this, do you have any children? Answering a question with a question. You might answer, why? yes, three, why? Question. And then the artist might ask you in return, which one is your favorite? Question. But that last question sort of answers your first one, hopefully. <laughs> That's kind of how they would discuss things. It's almost like a, a game where I ask a question and you have to somehow answer my question with another question back to me and then I ask another question back to you and hopefully in the process we all dig deeper and deeper and deeper. So Jesus wasn't just asking questions like, why is the sky blue? He was actually engaged in their discussion. Frankly, we even see the same thing when his parents kind of fi finally find him. Why have you treated us this way? Question. And what does Jesus say? Why were you searching for me? Question. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Question. And if they were interested in going deeper, the next question might have been, who is your father? Then again, after four days searching, it also may have been something like, do you want to be grounded for a month? But there's this question, question, question. Here's what I love about this. Maybe we sometimes assume too much about God. And maybe we know that if we're not asking questions of Him. Maybe we would grow in our favor with God better if we recognized simply that we're not God and that we don't have all the answers. Maybe if we sought to understand Him better, that might help. Then finally, maybe sometimes we assume more than we ought to about ourselves. Maybe we simply believe ourselves to always basically be right. Maybe we assume we know what's best. Maybe we assume that we have all we need. And yet, we probably spend very little time reflecting or in silence. We probably spend very little time asking for help and advice. We probably spend very little time cultivating any kind of inner life at all. In fact, if you're a New Year's resolution kind of person, you're probably working on those today and tomorrow, I wonder if silence or quiet time or reflection or prayer make it to the list with your health goals and your career goals and your weight loss goals and your exercise goals. I wonder if adding more silence in, quiet time in, study time in, is anywhere near the list. As we turn back to our passage one last time, I'm struck by Mary's journey through this story. It begins with a faithful celebration of their traditions, then a journey back home only to find that Jesus is gone, a frantic trip back, a desperate three-day search, only to finally find him at the temple talking with scholars and scribes. And then Jesus says some cryptic things to her and Joseph, but then obediently returns. And our passage says, 
that she didn't understand. But she treasured all these things in her heart. Frankly, that's the second time we've seen that phrase in as many weeks. That she treasured up all these things in her heart. In other words, I think Mary knew that she didn't know everything. She knew that there were things happening that she couldn't explain, that she wouldn't be able to wrap her head all the way around. And instead of just assuming she was right, she took some time to reflect, to, to wrestle, to sit with some of these thoughts. I wonder how we would be changed if we took the time to grow in wisdom, if we took the time to remember, if we treasured our thoughts and our ideas longer and better. Maybe as this past year ends and a new one begins, we could all be a bit more humble as we recognize that sometimes our assumptions get us into trouble. Maybe we would be wise to do as Jesus did, to work to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with others. If you would join me in prayer. Lord God, as we come to the end of 2018 and start looking toward 2019, as we come to the end of another season of Christmas, as we come to the end of simply another Sunday, we ask that you would, that you would help us to not make assumptions about others and about God and about ourselves. That you would help us recognize better when we're doing that. And that we might do that less so that we would grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with others. Lord, we continue to thank you for the example of Jesus, for who he was and who he is and who he continues to be. We pray all these things in his strong name. Amen.